We all have a choice. We don't get to choose when we are born or when we die, but we can choose how we live. So for anyone right now that might be feeling like you are at a point of no return, there is always a point of return. There is always something that you can stand on. We can stand on the word. And when you think about a point of no return, you feel lost. You feel like there's nowhere I can go back to because I've made it too far. I'm in my mess and I'm going to have to stay here. No, let your mess be a message. I need you to come to yourself today. Come to yourself because even the servants in your father's house have more. There is overflow beyond the people that have hurt you. There is overflow beyond the people who have lied on you. There is overflow beyond the things people have done to you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Confidence Restored Podcast presented by CC America, also known as Confidence Centers of America and hosted by Tamaria Jordan. This is a show designed to help you build your confidence Increase your faith and get mentally fit to overcome any trials and tribulations you may encounter. Through personal testimonies of faith, inspiration, and transformation, Tamaria and guests seek to inspire and uplift you. This message is delivered by us, CCing you on lessons learned in hopes of encouraging you regardless of where you are in life. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to a live taping of the Confidence Restored podcast. I am your host, Tamiria Jordan, and I am here today with a message titled, The Point of No Return. And some of you may be wondering, where did she get that title from? It actually came to me last night after uh, going to see the play Wicked. So I actually received that as a gift from one of my family members, Uh, really grateful. They know that I love acting and theater and the arts in general. And so for my birthday this year, they purchased a ticket for the Broadway play Wicked. And the play was really intriguing. It was very interesting. Definitely not what I expected. It was my first time seeing the play, but it did make me think about a lot of different things as it relates to life. And some of the things that are happening today, some of the things that have happened throughout history. And I thought about that. But then as I was driving, I started to think about more things as I was coming home today. And even last night, my mind has just been going. And I said, I hope that God will give me the words to speak through the power of the Holy Spirit, because I don't know where this message is going to go. But I know that this message will be for me and for someone else. And so where I want to start is actually sharing a story. And then I'll tell you where the story is from. So in the course of time, there was a gentleman. He was the son of another man who fell in love with a beautiful sister of this person's son. He became so obsessed with this woman that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, the son had an advisor, and so he asked, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? So this man is the son of a king, but he's in love with a woman that he feels like he deserves but can't have. I'm in love with this woman, my brother's sister. What this person told them, this advisor And you do have to be careful who you get advice from. But this advisor said, go to bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to them, I would like my sister to come and give me something to eat. 
Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So the king's son lay down and pretended to be ill so that when the king came to see him, he could say that I would like my sister to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. And so the king sent word to the daughter at the palace and said, go to the house of your brother and prepare some food for him. So she did as she was told. She went to the house of her brother and he was lying down. She took some dough. She kneaded it. She made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served them the bread, but he refused to eat. He requested that everyone be sent out of the room and everyone left. And then he said to his sister, who was his brother's sister, essentially, bring the food into my bedroom so I can eat from your hand. She took the bread that she had prepared and brought it to her brother in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. So he refused to listen to her. And because he was stronger than her, he raped her. And then after he raped her, he hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And he said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. The servant put her out and bolted the door. And she was wearing a robe, an ornate robe, for that was the kind of garment that the virgin daughters of a king wore. But she left with ashes on her head and she tore the robe that she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother said to her, has your brother been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And she lived in her brother, her other brother's house, a desolate woman. And when the king heard this, he was furious. And the brother that took her in after her disgrace never said a word to the brother that disgraced her, either good or bad, but he hated him because he had disgraced his sister. So two years later, fast forward, when the brother who raped the sister, they went to a location where all of the king's sons were invited to come. And essentially he went, there was someone who mentioned you, your servant has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? And the king said, no, my son, all of us should not go. We should only be a burden to you. The brother who had taken in the sister after she had been raped by the other brother said, well, king, if you can't come, let my brother come. And then he said, why should he go with you? But the brother who had taken in the sister urged him. So the king sent the other brother and the rest of the king's sons. The brother who was still angry from what had happened in the past two years prior ordered the men and said, listen, when 
pretty much his brother is high spirits from drinking wine. I say to you, strike him down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So the gentleman's men did to the brother what he had ordered. And then all of the king's sons got up, mounted their mules and fled. While on their way, the report came to the king that his son had been struck down. Not one of them is left. And the king stood up, tore his clothes and lay down on the ground. And all of his attendants stood by with their clothes torn. The person who encouraged the other brother how to get the sister into his bedroom said, my Lord should not think they killed all of the princes. Only one is dead because the message came back that all of the king's sons were dead, but it was really only the one, the one that had raped his sister. And this has been the one brother who had taken her in his express intention ever since the day that that brother had raped his sister. And he continues to say, my Lord, the king should not be concerned about the report that all of the king's sons are dead, only essentially the brother that had raped his sister. And in that time period, the brother who had had his brother killed fled. Now, all of the people stood by watching and they saw people on the road west of him coming down the hill and watchmen went and told the king, I see men in the direction and there was a place essentially. And they said on the side of the hill and he said, your sons have come. It has happened just as your servant said. So this person now was telling the truth. He says, as he finishes speaking, the king is wailing loudly and they were hurt by the news. And so the brother who was at the side of the sister fled and the king mourned his son for many days. He fled there for three years. And although the king wanted to go back to his son who left because he essentially was consoled concerning the son's death, the other son. So many of you, anyone that's familiar with the Bible probably knows that this is the story of Amnon and Tamar. And I remember the first time that I read it and I thought, wow, this is very interesting because essentially... Amnon was a son of David, but so was Absalom. And they noted in here that Amnon, the son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, who was also a son of David. They were all sons of the king. And you think about us in life, we are all sons and daughters of the king. And our decisions can bring us to a point of no return. And so when I thought about the definition of the point of no return, it is the point beyond which one must continue on one's current course of action because turning back is dangerous, physically impossible, difficult, or expensive. And when you think about points of no return, there are so many points in our life that we encounter where we feel like, you know what, it's too expensive to, to go back. It's too expensive to turn a new page or turn a new chapter in this book. It is impossible physically because the damage has already been done or it's just too difficult and I don't want to turn back. But when we think about our lives and what made me think about this particular story was when I thought about the play Wicked. And I'm not going to give away the story, but what I will say 
is that sometimes people don't realize that the course of their actions set off a trickle down effect or a domino effect. And so once you start that domino effect, the essentially the dominoes are set in motion and it's not going to stop until it gets to the end, until it gets to the point of no return where all the dominoes are lying down and none of them are standing back up. And I thought about life. We are born, life happens, we evolve, and then we die. And we don't get to choose how we are born. The only thing that we really get, we don't even get to choose when we die. But what we do get to choose is how we live and how we evolve over time, how we allow circumstances and situations to impact our lives. And in that story, Tamar was the individual that I was referring to, but I didn't want to give away the name because I thought about how many people may be victims of molestation, incest, and things of that nature. And when you think about uh, Roe versus Wade and all the controversy surrounding that, we don't know anyone's whole story. So take, for instance, Tamar, who was raped by her brother. Now, Amnon raped her. And she was the one who, after she was raped, she even said, can you go to the king and ask for us to be married so that she would not essentially be put to shame? But he sent her away. And so if someone were to see her with her ornate robe torn which and the ashes on her head, they would know she is no longer a virgin. But they may think there was something that she did to deserve to be the way that she was. The only thing she did was try to attend to her sick brother. And I know sometimes people say no good deed goes unpunished. And it's interesting because when I, I think about what I saw in the play this weekend, I was like, wow, people don't get to necessarily choose how they are born, but their lives take shape by the influences of other people. And Wicked, for anyone who isn't aware, is a, a famous Broadway musical. And it was based on a novel called The Wicked Years by Gregory Maguire, and it was published in the 1990s, so 1995 to be exact. And it's the story of two witches, Glinda and Elphaba. And while I was watching the play, and um, from my understanding, uh, my family member mentioned that it has changed from the last time they saw it, I thought about acting because I, my background, again, I love acting, I love theater, I love the arts. But I thought about the role of a protagonist and an antagonist in a play. The protagonist is usually the leading character. They're the ones everyone's rooting for. They're the main character, um, either in a drama, a movie, a novel, or other fictional text. The antagonist is the person who actively opposes the protagonist or is hostile to someone or something, essentially the, the adversary. Now, the title of the play is Wicked. Who is the adversary in this case? Is it the Wicked Witch of the West, Elphaba, or is it Glinda? Who knows? Because when you think about and when you think about society, the play is is talking specifically about the character that was wicked, the adversary. But in the version that I saw, it was so interesting because one. She didn't ask to be born how she was born. She had to live in the body she was given. But what I thought was interesting is she wasn't always the way that she was. And then 
after a series of lies and people doing things, lies, manipulation, things started to change. And it was really interesting because I thought about how life is. Some people are born in a different manner. So there are some people who may have what others would consider a disadvantage because they aren't able to do what other people can do. That doesn't mean that they can't. It may be that it's more difficult for them to do so. And so when you think about disabilities, individuals can have a disability. It doesn't mean that they don't have any ability. It just means that they may not be able to perform certain actions. So when we think about what's considered a disability, it's a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. In this play, you could consider her to be someone who was born different. And sometimes I think people are born different to stand out. We are all born different. And if we allow society to put labels on us because our abilities may be different, we may stop and not be able to live out our lives fully as it was called to be. And then later in that story, they introduce another character who is wheelchair bound and, and it was her sister. And, and you look at how they were both treated in the context of life and working with and being around and interacting with other people. And it reminds me a lot about life today. Oftentimes, individuals may make assumptions about someone because they may not have the same abilities as they do. They may make, uh, they may share things about those individuals that aren't true. And I think about what we, ha what happens in life. And I use the story of Amnon and Tamar, because when you think about Tamar, people probably would have looked at her and assumed a lot of things. People look at anyone in this life and assume a lot of things without knowing the full picture or the full scope. And so I brought up protagonists and antagonists because protagonists are usually the individuals who are considered powerful. And the antagonist is the adversary. And I often wonder how many people that have become adversaries were born an adversary or if they became an adversary because of life situations, they got to a point of no return where they felt like it is too difficult for me to go back. So I'm going to live in the truth that you gave me, or I'm going to walk in what you called me, not who God called me to be. And so when I think about the main character, Elphaba, she was born green. No one else was green. So she immediately stood out. She immediately was considered different. And so individuals latched onto the fact that she was different and the way they treated her was based on their own perception of who she was. It wasn't that that was how she was, at least not in the version that I saw initially. It was what people perceived based on their own limited belief system. And there was a quote, uh, and I, I looked it up, it's on Google and it, it is from the play and it says, the truth isn't a thing of fact or reason. It is simply what everyone agrees on. And so if everyone agrees on a lie, then essentially they can set things in motion like a domino effect that at the end of the day, there's no, a point of no return where the lie has grown legs and the lie keeps going, not realizing 
all of the damage that will lie in the wake once this lie has ran its course, once it's gotten to the end of that domino. And you think about, I'll use an example of slavery. There have been lies throughout history that certain demographics of the population are evil, are different to the point that people started to believe it. And so they believed that these individuals were not people. The individuals they enslaved, they believed they were not people. So if you believe that they're not a person, you're not going to treat them the same, same way that you would treat your child or treat your mother or treat your grandparents, your sister, your brother. And so it wasn't because it was necessarily based on fact. It was based on someone else's truth that other people latched on to. Take, for instance, the Holocaust. Hitler was able to mobilize people to believe something about the Jews to the point that when he essentially committed genocide against millions of people, others may have disagreed that it was wrong, but it took a long time before anyone stood up to stop it. Slavery lasted for 400 years. So when we think about life and we think about situations, things are never what they seem on the surface. And that is why we have to get to know individuals on a personal level so we can break down those biases, those stereotypes, those things that we may not know because no one would have known that her brother called her into the room. She went in there to help him and then she ended up laying with him, but only she was disgraced. He may have felt some shame, but no one could see his shame, but they could see hers. So she went away a desolate woman. And when you think about what it means to be desolate, can you imagine you had no, aside from going into the room, she did not want for that to happen. She even said that to him, but he was stronger than her and he raped her. And desolate by definition is a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. It can also mean barren, a synonym. It could be grim, desert, ruin, ravage, devastate, none of which are good terms. Can you imagine all you tried to do was help and now you are at a point of no return where someone else's actions have caused your outlook on life to become bleak or to become dismal or to think that you are not worthy of living a life worth living because of someone else's actions. You've gotten to a point of no return because you think that if you turn around, you have to stay on this course of action. How many people may look at someone who is promiscuous and think, whether it's a man or a woman, they're promiscuous because they chose to be that way. Perhaps they were molested. Men can be molested. Women can be molested. Perhaps they were molested by someone that cared for them. And so they feel this is the only way I can feel love. And when we think about September, I didn't know this until recently that September is Suicide Awareness Month. I did not know that. National Suicide Prevention Week in the United States started September 4th and it ended yesterday, Saturday, September 10th. And when we think about Suicide Prevention Week, and now when you think about the month of September, and there's other things that we're bringing awareness to in the month of September, but when you think about mental illness, you think about what people may be going through, 
you don't know what is behind someone's closed door. You only know what they tell you. And so, so many people make assumptions about things they know nothing about. They only know what you show or what you say, but they assume they know everything. And so when you think about even suicide prevention, it was so interesting when I, I looked at one foundation, the Jed Foundation, they said, suicide is the second leading cause of death among young adults. And for every youth suicide, it is estimated that 100 to 200 others attempt suicide. What a staggering statistic. Because the thing is, many of us are in our own bubble. One thing I know there's a, a saying that people say, I might bend, but I won't break. Some people do break because they get to a point of no return where they feel like, what is there left for me? And even with regard to Amnon, he ended up being killed because Absalom, his brother, was so angry about what he did to Tamar. And some people would say, rightfully so, that his anger was justified. But the word reminds us that even if we are angry, sin not. And for some people, they look at that and they think that is too hard for me not to do. It's too hard for me to sin not when you've hurt me. It's too hard for me to not get angry and not to lash out and respond in kind. But let me tell you, it is the gift of the Holy Spirit that keeps us from responding in kind, even to those people who use us, who manipulate us, who treat us wrong. We all have a choice. We don't get to choose when we are born or when we die, but we can choose how we live. So for anyone right now that might be feeling like you are at a point of no return, there is always a point of return. There is always something that you can stand on. We can stand on the word. And I'm going to lead us into the next area, which is Luke 15. And so this one, I'm going to probably read the whole chapter because it is that powerful when you think about being lost. And when you think about a point of no return, you feel lost. You feel like there's nowhere I can go back to because I've made it too far. I'm in my mess and I'm going to have to stay here. No, let your mess be a message. You do not have to stay where you have been. There is hope. There is freedom. There is joy. But it's on the other side of that pain. Starting in chapter uh, 15, verse one, the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In verse eight, the parable of the lost coin, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. The parable of the lost son. 
Starting in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like you want to make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He didn't even want to be an heir. He said, make me like one of your servants. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. For someone that's listening to this, you thought you were dead, but you are alive again in Jesus' name. You thought you were lost, but you are found. And we are going to celebrate your life. You are still in the land of the living for a reason. You woke up today for a reason. And for anyone that feels like your life is not worth living, I encourage you to seek out help. God put people on this earth to help us. You do not have to do this thing called life alone. If you need help, seek out help, whether that's a therapist, counselor, someone that you, a guidance counselor at a school, anyone, you, a friend, family member, anyone you can talk to, to get help and realize that we are celebrating with you, that your life is not over. Your life does not have to be over. They say there's a point of no return, but not in, not in God's word. There is a point of return when we repent and give our lives back to Christ. He can give us what we've been longing for. And so in this story, the father begins to celebrate that son who came back. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And this, when you think about it, this is the good son, the son who did everything right. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And when I tell you that blessed my soul, it is blessing my soul right now because God is always, he is always with us. Everything that he has is ours. We are heirs to the throne, but we are walking around like we are hired servants. 
And it's not because God said that we weren't who we were. We allow life and situations to put us in a place where we are no, we don't feel like we belong. We don't feel like we are worthy. We are living in condemnation and feel like we don't belong to God's kingdom, that we don't deserve God's good gifts, that we don't deserve to be treated with kindness, that we don't deserve to feel love, that we don't deserve anything good that we receive, but that we deserve desolation. We deserve to be barren. We deserve to not be happy. The devil is a liar. So for anyone that is feeling like life has dealt you some lemons and you're like, I don't know how to make lemonade. I just feel squeezed. Know that all you need is a little bit of living water. Add a little bit of living, living water to that lemon that feels like the life has been sucked out of it. Drop that lemon, AKA yourself in a glass of living water and watch it transform. Watch that flavor turn. Because the enemy wants you to believe that there's a point of no return, that you can't come back from where you've been. Absalom, after he killed his brother or after he had his brother killed, he fled because he felt like he was at the point of no return. He had already done a bad deed in vindicating his sister and killing his brother. So now he had to flee. The prodigal son, after he had squandered his money and knew what he had done, he felt like, I can't go home to my father. But in verse 17, and this is going to help someone because it's sure enough, it's helping me. When he came to his senses, and some scriptures say when he came to himself, I need you to come to yourself today. Come to yourself. Come back to your right senses and realize who you are. Because even the servants in your father's house have more. So surely, as he said, why am I here starving to death? How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? The servants have food to spare. Some of us, we're afraid to go back, but there is overflow in that house. There is overflow beyond the people that have hurt you. There is overflow beyond the people who have lied on you. There is overflow beyond the things people have done to you. And don't get me wrong. I know it is hard. I have been through and walked through some things where it has been hard for me the people who've lied on me, the people who've tried to get me fired on my job, the people who have mistreated me, but God, people may do what they do to you, but that doesn't mean that you can't maneuver around or out of those situations, that you can't remove yourself from people that don't mean you well. You have a right to set healthy boundaries. If people that you are around are causing you strife, heartache or making you feel a certain type of way about yourself, even if it is your blood family. I don't believe that people that cause you to go to a place, a point of no return, essentially, those people that cause you to go there, you have to take yourself out of toxic situations because it brings out the worst in you. The word says you can be angry, essentially, but sin not. But if you keep yourself in a toxic situation, uh, chances are you're going to sin. I mean, let's just keep it real. Ephesians 4.26, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Because guess what? When we wake up, we're still going to be mad. <laughs> and we're probably going to be even more angrier. And we don't know what we may do out of that anger. And I think that is why we are warned. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger. Because if we do, the outcomes, Amnon raped his sister. His brother Absalom was angry, not for a little while, 
for years. And verse 27 of Ephesians reads, neither give place to the devil. So it says, be angry and sin not, neither give place to the devil. What happened is when we start to hold on to that unforgiveness, that regret, that frustration, whatever it is, we start to give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands, the thing which is good that me, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace upon the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sakes hath forgiven you. And when I, I think about everything that has been shared today, when we allow anger to stay in us, when we allow what other people did to us to stay in us, when we allow the shame, the hurt, the condemnation, anything that we feel to stay in us, that is when we get corrupt. We ourselves become rotten. And so it was so interesting. And there was another quote that I thought was so powerful by Gregory Maguire um, with regard to the book, The Wicked Years. It says, people who claim that they're evil are usually no worse than the rest of us. It's people who claim that they're good or any way better than the rest of us that you have to be wary of. And there's a lot of people who are, you know, they might be in the pulpit. They might be in your houses. I know that, you know, there have been people in churches who have done others wrong and caused them a lot of pain and hurt, but those people are not God. And I think where we struggle is we start to look at God as though he's those people. And I remember, actually, I think it was last week, I had a moment, I broke down crying and I was like, what I felt in my spirit was I am not them. How many of us have treated God like them? The people who have hurt us, the people who have lied to us, the people who have done us wrong, God is not them. So for whoever has walked away, God is still waiting for us. He's like, I'm not them. They may have walked away from you. I won't walk away from you. They may have talked bad about you. I'm not going to talk bad about you. I want you to come back. I am going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice over one sinner. I'm going to rejoice over one person, that one person being you. That one person being every one person that comes back to Christ. Every one person that still walks with Christ. And because he said, you already were heir to the son that was doing good. You already had everything. The issue is sometimes we forget what we have. And that is why I am so focused on restoring confidence because I myself have walked through plenty of seasons where my confidence was tested. And it wasn't necessarily tested in what God said about me. It was me listening to what everyone else said. And they have a heaven or hell to put me in because like they said, be wary of the people who think they're doing better than the rest of us. Because the truth is, even the word tells us that we are all sinners. And a, a person posted on social media, and I shared it actually this morning, and it came to me as I was about to wrap up this message. Chastity Waters posted this about five days ago, and it said, some of y'all didn't try God, y'all tried church. And when the church hurts you, or you found out that liars, fornicators, and fake people also go to church, you concluded that God ain't real, or that Christianity is a joke. 
If people can make you walk away from God, you were never in a relationship. You were just in religion. And let me tell you, religion, even Jesus talked to the Pharisees about being religious. He was more focused on the relationship. That's why he could use the people that other people would never think to use. And oh, oh my gosh, I just had another revelation in Hosea. And, and I felt like I was supposed to read this like 2020, 2021. But when I read the description of the book of Hosea, I'm going to be honest, I didn't want to read it because I was like, okay, why do I feel the need to read Hosea? And then when I looked at what Hosea was about, I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to read that. Because in the very first chapter, verse two, it says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And so it continues to go on, but at, at the very end of the chapter. So the, the story of Hosea and his wife, um, it, it didn't last very long in terms of like their story and, you know, what happened. Um, essentially, he he did marry her. He followed God's instructions and he married her and in chapter two, it talks about how Israel was punished, but then it also said that Israel will be restored. And it was so interesting because I was like, wow, this is really deep. Um, and in chapter two, verse 14, it says, therefore, I am now going to allure her, essentially the promiscuous woman. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope that she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. And so when you think about it, it that is powerful. It's again like the prodigal son. It's the lost sheep. It's what we lose. It's what God is trying to get back. He was like, don't let them, do not let them make you think that I don't still love you because you made a mistake. He still loves us. He still wants the best for us, even though we might be a whole hot mess. <laughs> uh, and my grandmother, she she always says that. She always talks about, uh, she used to always say, you know, oh, you were a hot mess, weren't you? But literally, in chapter 14 in the same book, Hosea, it says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. The things that they sought out couldn't save them. No one could save them. The only person that could save them was God. And when you think about where we are now, a lot of us, we're walking around thinking people can save us. And there is a serious spirit that has been released on this earth. And prophetess Tiffany Montgomery has been talking about it since like October last year. The madman spirit that's making people lose their minds. And yes, mental illness is real. But we also have to remember that the word says we do not war against flesh and blood. The spiritual world is real too. And the enemy wants us to believe that he's not real because how can you fight an enemy that you don't believe exists? 
we can't fight him if we don't think he's there. If we don't think that that he's trying to wreck our lives and ruin our relationships. He wants us to think that he's not powerful. He wants us to think, and granted, he has he is not more powerful than God. But he has tricked a lot of us into thinking that we are warring against people. We are warring against ourselves. We are warring against beliefs. But some of the thoughts that people have, it's been planted. It has literally been planted because the enemy knows that his time is short. He And in Revelation, it talks about that. Because his days are short, he is wreaking havoc on this earth. Because in Ephesians 6 and 12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when you think back to that very opening story about Amnon and Tamar, you also have to be careful who you have in your corner. Everyone that says they're your friend, my mom used to always say to me, everyone is not your friend. And I didn't start to realize that until I got much older and through heartache and pain, a lot of times through trial and error, (laughs) I realized what she meant. Everyone that smiles in your face is not your friend. Some of them might be your foe. They literally may be sizing you up, trying to figure out like that. uh, There was a meme going around about a snake and the snake wouldn't eat, but that was because the snake was trying to figure out when it could eat its master. She took the the snake to the doctor thinking that the the snake was sick but it was in the snake's nature to eat her. It didn't want everything else. It wanted to eat her while she was caring and nurturing for it in that example. And it's similar to like a parable, but it's like the scorpion and the frog. The scorpion convinced the frog to give him a ride across the pond. And when the scorpion got to the other side, it stung the frog and said, it's in my nature. It's in the enemy's nature to get us arguing with one another, to get us all upset and thinking that we are fighting against people and that the spiritual world isn't real. That's what he wants us to do. But there is a way that we can overcome and we are overcome by the power of our testimony. So the more we talk, the more we share, the more we build up each other and we help individuals and we lead them back to the word, the better off we will be. We can defeat this enemy, but oftentimes we don't even work together. And that's exactly what he wants. He wants us to not work together because he knows that we can send thousands of demons to fight if we work together. But he's like, nope, I want to keep you all fighting each other. Fight each other, kill each other, hurt each other. I want you to keep doing that. Because if you keep doing that, you'll never become who God called you to be. Your confidence will be in people, not in God. Hence the reason, confidence restored. Hebrews reminds us, do not throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. Confidence meaning faith, meaning trust. In Deuteronomy 32, 30, how could one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock has sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? That's one, uh, one verse. But actually, I don't even think that is the... Um, Bear with me one moment. That's not even the one I think I was looking for, but I do know one moment. It's in regard to prayer. Let me see if I can find it. Because it talks about when one or more are gathered in his name. 
it may have been um it actually may have been that one yes um it is it's just the way in which it it's written but in matthew 18 it also says it talks about this as well let me pull that up because i think these are powerful reminders um yes it's matthew 18 so let me get matthew 18 up on my screen i was a poet and didn't know it <laughs> but yes i am I am going to find this scripture for you. Make sure I'm quoting the right one, but it's also in Deuteronomy. But Matthew 18, let me make sure I get the right one. Because there's so many, oh wow, there's a lot in Matthew uh, 18. But literally, verse 14 is the first one that's up on my screen right now when I started scrolling. And it literally says, even so, it is not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. But right before that, it says, and it so be, and, and if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the 90 and nine, which went not astray. Wow. Full circle moment right now. I wasn't even planning to read Matthew 18, but when you think about the prodigal son, in that whole chapter of Luke 15, when it talks about the lost sheep. And in Matthew 18, it talks about this. It talks about the son who came back. It talks about sitting. Wow, this chapter has a lot that it talks about. But literally, essentially, he's saying, I have not forgotten you. Whosoever, therefore, in verse four, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse seven, woe unto the world because of offenses for it must needs to must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. So the woe to the man by whom the offense cometh, the person who commits the offense, but woe to the world because of offenses. Offenses are what's keeping us down. It's making us feel like we're at a point of no return. Wow, this is deep because then in verse eight and verse nine, it talks about whatever it is that offends thee, cut it off, cast it away from you because it, it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet be cast into everlasting fire because that hand or thy foot is offending thee. It's causing you to sin. And then it continues in verse nine. If your eye offends thee, pluck it out cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire. And then as we fast forward, it talks about in chapter in verse 12 through 14, if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray again, that full circle moment, God is happy that that one person came back because he doesn't want one of us to perish. It, and then it keeps going. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Tamar's brother trespassed against her. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. Verily I say unto you, whosoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whosoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, 
if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I shall forgive him till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I shall not until thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. We keep forgiving, but we let God handle it. It's not our battle to fight. We can let God handle it. Oh my gosh. And you know what? God is so good. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to keep reading because it's forgiveness. It's all of those things. And it's all coming together now when we think about how this podcast started and where it's about to end. And literally, I feel like Matthew 18 is wrapping it all up in a bow. It's like, all right, prodigal son, come back home to me. That could also mean prodigal daughter. It also talks about offenses. If your brother offends you, forgive him seven times seven. And then it keeps going. And it says, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he shall pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Shouldest now thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him into the tormentors till he shall pay all of that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. And that's how we're going to close it out today. Literally. Thank you, Lord. I needed that reminder too. Because we go to God asking him to forgive our trespasses, but we may not be willing to forgive those people who have trespassed against us. And when we don't, we can't be forgiven. And, and it's funny because even in that chapter, it mentions the word wicked. I And that's why I said I just had a whole full circle moment where all of the things that was done to the main character, some of it was done by the people who proclaimed to be good. and so. Her actions were based on the treatment that she was receiving. Again, we don't know when we're going to be born. We don't know when we're going to die. But what we do know is how we get to live. So I encourage you today to live, not live for other people, not allow other people to put you in a box, not allow other people's decisions to make you turn wicked and cold and distant. God wants to give you so much more. Your life is not confined to the 
mere thoughts that other people have of you or what they do to you, that is their choice. You may not be able to choose how people treat you or what they do to you. The only thing we get to choose is our response. And guess what? Other people don't get to dictate what that response is. Distance is a response. You don't have to continue to allow people to mistreat you and use you. You can distance yourself. You can go on and be about your father's business. Like the word says in another part of the Bible, when you go into the city and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. AKA keep going. It's okay. You can love them from a distance. Be angry, but sin not. Do not give the devil a foothold because that's what he wants. He wants us to be so angry that we are, we let that anger eat us alive until ultimately we push that domino over and it is too late for us to turn it back. But God, God will restore all like in Hosea. At the end of Hosea, he does restore it. He shows the restoration of Israel when he brings back the wayward wife. So much power, so much power in his word. And I just thank God for this message today. I thank God for each of you. Thank you for tuning in week after week. I hope and pray that this message blesses your spirit and starts your week off right. I know it's going to help me because trust and believe. I do, like I say, I never proclaim to be perfect, but I'm just going to share what's on my heart because the word does say we are overcome by the power of our testimony. And this message, I need it for myself as well. It is a great reminder that how people treat us should not define how we live our lives. We do not have to live by what other people do to us. We don't have to allow that anger, that hurt, that frustration to build up to the point that we look in the mirror and we don't even know ourselves. So be encouraged. Be of good cheer. Take your joy back. Take your power back. Don't walk away a desolate woman or a man. Don't walk away. Don't walk away and tear your robe because you are an heir. You aren't a servant. Don't walk away with the ashes on your head because of what someone else did to you. Take it back to God. Ask him for your redemption. Ask him for your forgiveness. Ask him for your life back. Because he said, if one comes back, we will rejoice. So on that note, good people, keep on keeping on. Thank you for tuning in to another live taping of the Confidence Restored podcast by CC America. We are grateful that you tune in week after week and join us for testimonies of faith, inspiration, and transformation. Please be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe and let others know that you are listening to the Confidence Restored podcast. You can also now buy us a coffee to show appreciation at buymeacoffee.com forward slash CC America. Until next time, be blessed.